0: This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top
1: with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. This is Jeremy and Eric here with Bucket Talk, powered by Brunt. This week, we're here with our brother to the north up in Canada, Kendall Keating. Kendall is a commercial diver and welder. He goes by the Instagram handle, KendallKeating4. But before we jump in, Eric, what's been going on?
0: Awesome. Awesome. So it's been a crazy few months and in, in really a few weeks here. And I guess the big highlight over the past week for us, Jeremy, has been one, we did a, a photo shoot uh, a few weeks ago that was up at your farm, yeah. Trinity Stables. And the good news is this time we were able to incorporate some of our sisters in the trade, which was your wife and the manager of the barn, Olivia. And That was a few weeks ago, and now we've brought to life our first women's work boot, the Marin work boot that is now live on the site, and big coordination, big thanks for having us up to your farm, for taking some time out of your guys' day to get the ladies into the boots, so super, super excited, and yeah, we're now in the women's category, so
1: a whole new world for us that we got to figure out how to navigate, but excited so far. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of winter prep. I'm up in Maine, and since the farm's new to us and we haven't actually been through a winter. We're kind of looking forward to what is in store. So, you know, me and my wife went out and got a snowblower. I've already got a plow truck and a whole bunch of other stuff and just making sure everything's kind of winterized and where we're going to put snow, how we're going to deal with the horses during that time period. We have an idea. The the previous owners kind of clued us in, but yeah, there's a lot going in, getting all the leaves up and picking up stuff out of the ditches so that water can flow and everything. But it's been a lot, it's been a lot. So we're busy and yeah, let's dive into this. All right, today we're here with Kendall Keating. Kendall Keating is a diver by trade. You're a commercial diver, is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's correct, I'm a commercial diver and a red seal welder and
1: a welding inspector as well. Oh, nice, nice. So Kendall, I mean, I've checked out your Instagram. It's awesome. You got some cool stuff going on, but let's hear how you got your start and and go way back. Okay, no, I
0: appreciate that. Yeah, so just a very small town boy. I'm from a town called Mary Machine, New Brunswick, up in Canada. I grew up on the outskirts of that. I actually grew up on a farm, so we have about 165 acres uh, just on the outskirts. It's an old homestead type thing. We had like my next door neighbor is my grandparents, uh, across the road is my uncle. On the other side behind me is my another uncle and uh, very, very tight knit type of family environment. Uh, it was a beef farm. And we also had a pole yard where we did all the poles for telephone uh, lines, as well as my uncle owned a, con- a construction company. So that garage was there. And my father owned a landscaping company. So a lot of blue collar background going on in the uh, very near vicinity. So you know, it was a pretty much ingrained in me from a young age. That's amazing. Like that, that, that. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. Uh, I just started making a couple of bullet points before I got on the air with you, I just trying to see, you know, w- what did get me to where I'm at. As I started writing it out, I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe it does make sense that I am at where I'm at today from the uh, the upbringing I had for sure. But yeah, no. I uh, went to a very small school. You know. Grade kindergarten to grade six was together. There's about 200 students. And then grade seven to uh, 12 was together, another 200 students. So graduating class was 30 people, you know, a very, very small type of town. So Mary Machine Brunswick, like the spot that I grew up outside of, there's a population there, about 18,000 back before a mill. That was like the main, you know, job spot. I closed down and then everybody started moving out west and all that fun stuff. So the population there right now is probably about 10,000 people. And like I said, it's a pretty small spot. Nothing too much goes on there. When when I was there, I knew that I wanted to get out, but I didn't really know what path I wanted to go on. So I I was always good at school, you know, a 90s student and pretty much everything, but I didn't really like school. Like I didn't want to put in the hours to study, but I'd go into a physics exam and still do very well on it, that type of thing. So that being said, I got accepted into sciences, which is my original course of Play. I was wanted to be a pharmacist with uh, what I thought I wanted to be in grade 10 and grade 11. So That was where I was kind of partaking in. And then uh, grade 12, actually, I was in a shop class. It was just a burner course because I had already had all my credits to graduate and stuff. Basically, my shop teacher one day brought up the thing of underwater welder, And I was like, wait, what? What, what, what was that? And I had something always stuck in my head. And it just seemed like something that was so cool, but also very unattainable. So uh, a couple months passed, it's time for, you know, graduation time and everything. And I also applied to a couple uh, background courses, such as pipe fitting, uh, instrumentation and welding, just in case I didn't like, you know, something happened. Ended up going for the welding and just I took a nine month welding course in Brunswick, at the community college there. My parents were very, very supportive. Like I said, I grew up with a lot of blue collar background. However, my older brother went to university. He has a financial background now, as well as my little brother is a chemical engineer. Yep. So, uh, I um, obviously I got the brains of the family being a welder. And uh, so I uh, went and did the nine month course, worked in New Brunswick for four months after I graduated from that course, and got my first call out to Alberta, which uh, basically in Canada is like getting the call to the big leagues as far as a blue collar person is concerned. It's uh, got on the road then. 2017, I got my red seal. I basically traveled all around Canada. I've worked in every province except for Quebec so far and the territories, which I'm uh, okay with not going any more northern than I already am. So yeah, I did the Red Seal in 2017, and that's when it kind of got back to me, because the original play, like I said, I heard about the underwater welding. That's something that was very fascinating to me. But again, seemed unobtainable. What did seem obtainable was going for my welding. At least if I got my welding Red Seal, that would always be a backfall. Like... The worst I could ever do after that is like, okay, well, at least I still have a red seal in a career that makes you a you know a decent amount of money and there's work everywhere for it. So that was the game plan. It, it worked out great. 2018 is when I started really like feeling the pressure of being like, okay, kind of like, what are you doing here? You have your red seal now. Are you scaling up? Are you going to start a contracting company? Which was something I was really eyeballing at the time. I was working with a, another guy, his name Craig McCollum. He owns a fabrication company called Big Can. And he was basically took me under his wing, taught me everything there is to know about like fabrication, all that fun stuff, because I was a a welder and he was a metal trades fabricator. So at that point in my career, I was welding, I would say 20% of the time and fabricating 80% of the time, like building a lot of things rather than welding. So, and that's what I'm passionate about too. I don't want to be, you know, flip down the lid and blaze all day, every day. I want to be up there. I want to be building stuff. I want to see something going down the road, like a full trailer with a twin deck screen deck on it for rock crushing and be like, I built that or something along those lines, right? I get a lot more satisfaction about building something than just welding something that somebody else put together for me.
1: No, that's great. And and, and actually one thing I wanted to, to touch on, because I'm actually unfamiliar with it and I'm sure some of our American listeners, what is a red seal? Uh, can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, for sure.
0: So basically in Canada here, I think it's pretty similar to U.S. apprenticeship program. But when I went to school for my nine-month welding program, I came out with basically some given hours and also my block one welding. So I then had to go obtain more hours through an apprenticeship program. Every 1,800 hours, I would get to go back to school and write another block. So I go first block, second block. And then right after your third block, you write your journeyman. And then you get your red seal at the same time. So basically a journeyman allows you to work in one province as like the top of your trade. But if you get your red seal, you can work at any province as the top of your trade. So it allows you to travel. Yeah. Yeah. It allows you to travel back and forth as well as it's recognized in a lot of spots like Europe and stuff. If you get your red seal, so I can head over, you know, down to Australia and go to Europe, all that fun stuff with a red seal and still be
1: recognized as the top of my trade. Wow. Wow, that's actually, that, that's, that's really cool. It, it definitely gives you some mobility. Now you split between, you know, underwater welding and, and fabricating. And I'd actually like to hear a little bit more about the fabricating. So you work out of a shop with your buddy and do that with him?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, like you said, I said, I bounced around jobs very, very often in my welding career. It was never a layoff or a quit or, sorry, a fire situation. It was always like, hey, this other company just called and they're paying four more dollars an hour. And I'm Like, okay, when can I be there tomorrow? That type of situation. So, uh, yeah, I bounced around quite often. That's how I got to work in every province. And basically, I had my buddy of mine that had uh, kind of grown up in the same hometown, but he's about ten years older. He called me and said, hey, I heard you're uh, you know, going to be in Alberta. We're looking for another guy. Would you care to come up to this uh, shop that I'm working at? And I said, yeah, man, I can be there literally next week. So went up there. He was uh, contracting out at the time. He had two welding trucks, fully rigged out, all set to go. So I came on as an employee of the main company, but I ran his other welding truck for him. So we were field guys, the two of us. He'd get sent up to BC somewhere, and I'd be getting sent to Saskatchewan somewhere. But we were based out of Alberta. We just had rock crushing plants also up over Western Canada. And anytime anything broke, it was you drove say eight hours one way. You got to the middle of the woods, middle of nowhere, and all you had was the tools in your truck. And there's like a conveyor belt that's forty feet long snapped in half, and you're just like fix it. So uh, you get to, you know you get pretty good at what you do as well as like. Learning how to use not things that aren't tools as tools, basically. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of tricks in the trade come out of it. Actually, I was just doing a uh, handrail here at work today. And they came over and I had a pipe all coped out to fit the other one perfectly. So there's no gap around it. Just a range pipe going into a range pipe. And they're like, how'd you do that? And I was like, oh, I have like a bunch of welding rods and a Sharpie, and they're like, what? Little things that you pick up over the years of how to uh, get things done without much in your truck, right? Lots of things along the back. One of the cooler fabrication stories, there was a screen deck, it was a double screen deck, which is basically what a rock crushing, it goes through a bunch of different variants of like smaller and smaller size rocks until it gets to your screen deck. And that's what gives you say like a half inch rocks here, quarter inch here, whatever, smaller and smaller. So that screen deck itself is about a million dollar piece of machinery. The company I was working for wanted one, but just to buy the blueprints alone cost about $120,000 just to get the blueprint in your shop. So instead, we went to a company down the road that allowed us to come in. They, we paid them way less than $120,000. And me and Craig, the other guy, went there with two Hillroy notebooks and uh, measuring tape and uh, or pens. And we measured the entire thing, got drawings of the entire thing with our pens. And we came back and we built it for $400,000 instead of a million. So saved the company 600K. And then we just, I still have the blueprints actually in my drawer here. So it's one of those things I can look back on when I'm older and be like, oh, that's, that's kind of a cool thing they did.
1: You know what I mean? So. <laughs> start, start building them and put them on eBay.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> put on my blueprints. <laughs> These ones cost $80 because they're in crayons, sorry.
1: All right, so let's switch over to the underwater welding. That is a huge fascination to me. I actually know two hard hat divers. One I grew up with, and then one I was in the Coast Guard with. And that was one of the trades that I wish I went and, and did. I know that it's time away from home. I know it's a lot of traveling. So like, that's one of those things that you know you you kind of want to do it. But I wouldn't be in the family situation that I am now if I did do that. So it's like I can't wish that away. But it it is one of the coolest things. I mean, I weld currently, you know, in a shop, and you know, I get to do like twenty percent of my time is is welding. We do, you know, fixing cars and repairing frames and and what have you. And I'm just a MIG welder. I never actually got to the TIG. What do you do on a daily basis there? So when I went and did my commercial diving
0: at school, so basically like back to the underwater welding part. When I was younger, I thought I was going to be an underwater welder. As I got older and looked into it and got more information, I realized. No, I'm going to be a commercial diver that underwater welds. Like it's not, it's own trade. You become a commercial diver and then you're a jack ball trades basically. And uh, yeah, so my, my first company I worked at was called Subsea Global Solutions. I was based out of Halifax with them and we did what was called ship husbandry. So with them, it was a lot of inspection. We were doing things called Wild, which uh, has a acronym. I just don't know where it is right now. But basically it's like a motor vehicle inspection for a huge shipping container boat. And any boat that's above a certain size, a certain class, like uh, cruise ships, uh, you know, big tanker vessels, anything, they have to get this U-wild, which uh, every five years, those large boats have to get pulled out of the water and put in a dry dock, which costs the company that owns that boat millions of dollars. So if they get a U-wild, they can keep that ship in the water for one more year without having to go to dry dock. So we go in the average day there, You know we uh, show up there, whatever time they get into on load or whatever they're doing. We pull up in a small boat beside them. The diver gets in the water with a camera on her hat. We start back at the rudder and the propeller. We do measurements on everything that has like any type of fine-tuning, anything finicky, measurements on everything. And then you start doing a swim out, which uh, is exactly what it sounds like. I am looking at the entire hull of the ship. Some of these ships are 400 meters long, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of swimming. It's a, it's, that was the part that in school, we practiced a lot on bottom. You know, sometimes you're in open water. But uh, you get to the workforce, especially in the ocean, you are swimming. So you better have some good cardio on you or you're not going to do what I'm doing now. I'm actually based out of Ontario right now, Ontario, Canada with the diving. And I'm through a carpentry union, which has divers in the union as well. And I work for, yeah, it's really different. There's actually only two unions in Canada that have divers. One of them is a pile driving union based out of Vancouver. And the other one is this uh, carpentry union based out of Ontario. So I work for a company that we... Basically, contract directly to OPG, which is Ontario Power Generation. So, we work on all their hydro dams. So, average day now, I come into work. Basically, if I come in for a 10-hour or 12-hour shift, I'm usually in the water for about three hours that day, and then I'm out. The rest of your days, you're on surface, you know, you're throwing lines, you're tending umbilicals, and umbilicals, the thing that we breathe through. If there's no work going on, you're on standby. You're just waiting, making sure nothing goes wrong. You know, if there is, something does go wrong, somebody is like a standby diver, so they'll jump in the water and save whoever's in the water. So the job I'm currently on, we're actually doing like refacing of an old dam. The dam was built in the 1950s and all the concrete on the upstream side is kind of getting washed away. So we're going down, we're chipping everything off. And then I'm putting like steel plates on it, almost like an armor, welding all those plates on and then refilling where we chipped with new concrete. So now instead of water hitting concrete, it's hitting the steel that I welded on. And this is about, I think we're about 25 feet deep up to about 12 feet deep. So it's like a 13 foot plate kind of thing that I'm welding on and yeah, the entire length of the dam. So they've been here for four years. I just got on with them in June, but we'll be here for the next probably six years, completing this job with the background and the skill set that I do have. I'm kind of the uh, the call boy now for this company. So we have five different jobs going on around uh, Ontario. So every week and every weekend, I'm in a different spot <laughs> wherever they need underwater welding or surface welding. So it's uh, it, it's one of those trades you're going to get out what you put in, right? Like if you want to be a commercial diver, that's you know that's all you do. You're the guy that chips the steel or sorry chips the concrete. You're the guy that uh, you know turns the wrenches. You can go do that. You make a you know decent career out of it, and that's going to be all you do. Or you can go and you can start getting stirs. You can uh, you know try to try to see where the ceiling at is with this trade in general. And you know you will be that guy, say that call guy, or if you don't want to be, you can be that guy on site. That you know, if something goes wrong,
1: they're like, hey, where's so and so? We need like instruction. We need to know how to do this type thing. That leads me to my next question: Is your career now seems pretty full? It seems like you're kind of at the top. Where do you picture your career going?
0: Basically, something I had always thought about as soon as I got into welding was welding inspection, which at the time seemed to me more as like a retirement job. You know what I mean? Like I said, I, I don't really like school, so I don't like being at a desk. I don't like being in front of a computer. I don't like that type of situation. So that's why, you know, I literally go underwater every day for work. So, you know, something physical. So I said, you know, inspection will come. However, whenever COVID hit, I went from the first time in my life, instead of working 80 hour weeks, I'm now working 40 hour weeks. When I had all that time, which, you know, to I guess the average person isn't a lot of time off, but I just was so much so used to go, go, go that I actually started studying on my own time. I studied for 27 days straight and I challenged my CWB level one welding inspector. So I got that now. So in the next six years, I need to get a 1,000 hours every six years to basically keep that certification. I can get what's called endorsements throughout that. So I have an endorsement in a W59 and a W47.1, which means I can do inspection on carbon steel here in Canada. As my diving career goes on, I'm actually studying for a couple more endorsements right now in my like after hours after work. And I'm just going to keep getting endorsements throughout the next couple of years so that when I do come out of diving and go right into the welding inspection, I'm going to be able to certify to do, you know, x-ray on pipes. I can do anything in nuclear plants. I can do all that kind of stuff. So I'm setting myself up for a welding inspection. I, I say retirement, but, you know, more like 35 go into a welding inspection and then continue on from there type thing. So that's the play, as well as definitely something entrepreneurial. My older brother already has two companies. My younger brother and I have been talking about stuff in the the meantime, as well as I'm staring at a business plan that's written on a whiteboard in front of me right now. So there's, you know, sky sky's the limit, right? I always try to see where the ceiling is and then see if you can push past that with everything. So that's kind of the play. (laughs) So yeah, I definitely, the more I get into the underwater industry as well, the more I realize there's a lot of things that make sense but aren't quite there yet there's a lot of uh, gaps in the industry as far as like even uh, you know material uh, products that the divers wear and all that kind of stuff so always always on the lookout for the the next big thing and you know keeping a lot of notes and a lot of pictures along the way so kind of see where the money is to be
1: made after this so i'm actually going to go off the the script here a little bit as we're going through this i'm I'm getting all jazzed up about this conversation (laughs) And for people that are listening, your job can be one of the most dangerous jobs out there. I know there's a lot of safety protocols, there's a lot of personal protection stuff, and it does make that job safer. But you, you got to have at least one story or you've got to have seen something cool down there that you, you tell at the bar every now and again.
0: <laughs> knock and wood so far i've been doing really good as far as safety is concerned uh like you said there's so there's so much safety but i actually feel safer as an underwater welder than i do as a surface welder because every day as a surface welder any joe bloke walking out the street and grab a zip cut and go blow their hand off or you know like you like to keep them stuff or whatever right so before you be, before you can get in the water in canada with one of the hats that we wear you have to have a minimum nine months in school, as well as like an understanding of physics and physiology and how the human body reacts to pressure, hyperbaric environments and all that kind of stuff. But the videos they always show you, that's something that, you know, I bring up the bar and all that fun stuff, like you were saying, it's what's called delta P. So delta P is basically the differential pressure Then when you get between, say, a dam, for instance, like me working on hydro dams, you have a high side and a low side. The pressure that is built up from the high side, so for every foot of water, there's about a half foot of pressure, PSI. So, if you have, say, like a 10 inch hole, for example, that would have almost like 100 square inches of PSI. If that hole's down, say, 40 feet. You got uh, 20 PSI over 100 <laughs> cubic inches. So, you got 2000 PSI going through that 10 inch hole. So, there's uh, there's lots of stories about divers getting uh, sucked through holes that are, you know, the size of your fist, basically, type thing, depending on the level that you're at. So, there's actually a video you can YouTube right now, and it's called uh, Delta P e-crab and it's one of the ones that they show you in school and basically there's a pipeline getting cut at the bottom of the ocean with a little zip cut which are normally i think they're uh, 564 of an inch thick and an entire crab walks by and just gets pulled through a 564 uh, hole so it kind of shows you uh what delta b can do but the, like you were saying like the dangerous ones like i said i don't really have any of those but it's the you know those moments like I tell my buddies and stuff like this all the time, especially other welders that are looking into uh, the underwater side. And they're like, well, Like, what is it? That what? What's different? Why do you like it?" And you know, there's times where I'm underwater, say I'm 40 feet deep, middle of nowhere, Ontario, welding basically a big armor plate onto a bull nose on a dam. And I'm there, and like a bass swims by my face as I'm welding, so I can't see for a second, and I'm like, "What's happening?" And then I lift my lid, and there's just a bass looking at me, and I'm like, hey, "How many other people?" that if either walk this earth or ever will walk this earth are going to have that experience, right? Like you kind of sit there for a second and think like, oh, this is, this is surreal. This is, this is crazy that this is what I do for a living, right? So it makes waking up in the, in the morning a little bit easier every day right? when you go to work and think, oh, something like that could happen or, you know, something dangerous could happen, something crazy could happen, right? So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty cool way to make a living for sure.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure you've seen some pretty cool stuff down there. I've been on those ships before, too. And, you know, we had our ship pulled out of the water down in Baltimore in the yards. It's another level. I mean, the boat just gets that much bigger. It's insane. And we're doing the hull inspections. And then you realize, like, there's certain parts of the hull that are almost paper thin. You know what I mean? And that's why you guys got to do those hull inspections for cracks and what have you.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I've heard stories from my old instructors about going down with like a chipping hammer you would use for welding, trying to find like a thin area and putting the chipping hammer through the hull. <laughs> so like like you said, you know, there's uh, millions and millions of dollars plus countless lives on that boat and it's being held on by a piece of paper. So the uh, the
1: inspections are definitely, I, I see where they're needed for sure. <laughs> I actually did that. I didn't put it through the hull, but I did put it through our potable water tank because, you know, you, you get down there And you use the needle gun and you get up all the paint so that you could repaint it. But yeah, we went right through the potable water tank and that was something to explain. Wow. Well, yeah, you you don't want to be doing that. (laughs) So so new guys getting into the trade, what would you tell them? Where's a good start? And, you know, what kind of mentality do you need? What kind of level of physical fitness? What kind of level of of education would you need to start a career and or trying to pursue a career in commercial diving?
0: Awesome question. This is one I get literally daily on my Instagram DMs. It's kind of like I'm glad that I'm sitting here speaking on a bigger platform now. So, you know, maybe kind of clear up all these questions. But so I went in very naive to your physical condition. I thought it was you had to be, you know, military grade. You had to be lifting weights every day of your life. I was running 5k every morning. I got to school and I was definitely like the best shape of my life. But then I went there and, you know, there's a couple guys that I'm like, okay, like, did they know that they had to do this? Like, what, what's happening here? So <laughs> I definitely went a bit above and beyond for that. Because like I said, I just, I didn't really know. And I was the guy that was on Instagram DMing everyone beforehand, trying to be like, hey, what do I do? What do I do? And not a lot of answers back, right? So basically, you as a commercial diver, and even to go to commercial diving school, you have to get what's called your diving physical, basically a physical doctor has to go and tell you, okay, your body is able to go underwater to pressures that are up to what we're allowed to go to, which in Canada is 165 feet. So your body has to be able to withstand that. That's through long bone x-rays. That's through uh, heart condition. That's your lung expansion. That's everything they do, a very thorough physical of your entire body. And then you have to do that every two years until you're 40 years old. And then you have to do it every year if you're 40 and over. Which there aren't a lot of divers that are over forty, but uh, the ones that are still around a forty are usually like saturation divers. They're the boys that are out there making the big money sort of thing, right? So it's uh, like that. You don't have to be you know jacked almighty or anything like that, but you want to have good cardio. Like I said, if you if you get to work and your first job is going to be swimming out a three hundred forty meter boat and you throw up halfway through, the uh, the company's not going to want to keep you around. So it's it's, uh, you know what I mean? It, it's good it for you at this point too. Like I said, you don't have to be, you know, like going on a bodybuilding show the week after you work or anything, but you also don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, we have to do this job. We can't put him in because he's not able to do it. Right. So it's the same thing as any job. You're going to get out what you put in, right? So why not put your best foot forward and just really go for it? And as far as the education, I didn't really know about that as well. I knew that there was physics and physiology and everything involved with the commercial diving program, which is obviously there. But you only actually need a grade 12 here in Canada to go to your commercial diving site, same as any other trade. So we were in there during our physics. Like I was tutoring the physics to like a couple of guys in the class. And some of them just had their basic math to get into the course but then they have to take physics when they're there. So like, you know, obviously if you come in with a bit of a math background, I think it's going to help you in the long run, but uh, it's not needed. And as far as like having a trade coming in too, that, that was another thing I get the question a lot. It's like, do you have to have a trade or do you have to be a welder before you come an underwater welder? Which again, I thought that, Maybe you did, but I also thought, okay, having at least a welding background is going to help me in the long run. Let's do that first. I came in, there was one other guy in my class that was a tradesman and everybody else was either fresh out of high school or like divers from before. I had a couple of guys that worked in metal shops but didn't have any trades, just laborers, just, you know, wanted to take the next step, wanted something bigger. But it, it's definitely not needed, but I can tell you for a fact, it's going to help. If you have any type of trade background, even such as yourself, mechanical, welding, all that kind of stuff, that's going to put you with such an upper hand on the competition that's applying for the same jobs you are that it, it's it's pretty wild the uh, difference it makes because just the fact of knowing like say how to uh, turn a wrench how to read a metric tape all that kind of stuff yes it's great on land everybody can do it but when you get underwater and it's pitch black and you're looking for a three sixteenth wrench or a you know three quarter inch wrench and a five sixteenth socket something like that. It's having a little bit of background knowledge. It helps you when there's no lights on anymore. And it's like, you can't even tell if your eyes are open or closed. You're trying to blink and you're like, oh, it's the same. Like, I don't know what's happening. So that's where you notice the big difference between the trade people that take diving and the guys that are divers and just go into it.
1: So that brings me to another question. I mean, I guess some values you need to, to really succeed in, in commercial diving. I would assume that there's gotta be some level of mental toughness. I mean, and I, I'm sure you wouldn't, necessarily know it until you got down there but you're down there by yourself in the depths for four hours at a time i mean by yourself and you have nothing but your mind
0: yeah yeah that's the big thing that i uh, found different to you coming from welding as a welder i always had music in. i was always listening to a podcast music uh ebooks something was in my ears going underwater you can just hear yourself breathe so if you're not okay with being with yourself for like my longest dive so far was when i was in halifax and did six and a half hours and you know if you're not okay with being with yourself for six and a half hours doing physically intensive work and you know not knowing what's behind you the entire time it's definitely not the trade like it's, it's not the trade for everyone it, that's plain and simple but you know the odd people that do want to get into it, it's so rewarding in the long run it's amazing you're down there by yourself, but you can talk to Topside, which is like your comms. So all the hats that we wear, we have communications in them. So you have two headphones and a mic in your oral nasal. Yeah, yeah. So you're always in communication with Topside. You know, you're down there, you're getting chilly, you have to go number two in the bathroom, whatever. You can talk to them. And usually, you know, depending on who your supervisor is, they'll get you out in a hurry. Or, you know, if you were addicted to them yesterday, maybe we'll get you out pretty slowly kind of thing, right? So it's, it's one of those industry, and it's it's a very tight-knit industry. So in Canada, to legally have a dive team, you have to have four guys at all times. You have to have your supervisor, you have to have your guy in the water, you have to have a standby diver, which is a guy that's ready to jump in the water, and you have to have one tender who basically gives the tools, takes up the tools, uh, gives them slack, takes up slack, whatever they need done, basically. So, uh, you know, that, that four people, you're with them every day. I'm fortunate enough, the company I'm with, we have quite a few divers. So my crew is like usually like seven to eight people. And, uh, you know, but with then with that many people, we have two or three in the water at the same time. So you're all kind of doing every, different jobs and you're crossing umbilicals. And there's a lot of communication that goes on. But yeah, that's a uh, that's a thing that a lot of people don't know, too. We, we can talk to topside, but it's just we can't like hear music or anything else while you're down there. So... I know my, so, myself personally when I was doing say like prop polishes which is like a propeller polish on those huge vessels that you guys would have like seen like coming into your third so they have like usually like 10 meter props like a 30 foot propeller from tip to tip and you're like doing a propeller polish on the blade and like I've been staring at the same blade now for like an hour and a half and I'm just like what's behind me so like you do a little quick peek and you're like oh what, what's back there but it's usually nothing but it's just you uh you start the thoughts in your head especially in the ocean like you know, there's definitely a shark right behind me right
1: now. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not for me. I mean, it's it's wild, the unknowns of, of, of the ocean. I mean, spending all that time on a ship, I'm out to sea for like two months at a time. And I have close to four years sea service. So it was cool because it was like, I'm glad I'm on the top side of the water because like we'd see some pretty funky stuff at night. And so... <laughs> And getting into the
0: industry, literally anything that either bumps something or you catch out of the corner of your eye is a shark. So that's, uh, you know, the first couple dives are definitely a little sketchy. But after that you uh, you really kind of, you know, lean back and hone into the process. So it gets easier and easier. I say that now as a river diver who the biggest fish I've seen in the last uh, five months is probably 14 inches long. So, you know, it's easier
1: to say now than when I was diving in the ocean. So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> take and give. What's the a- Biggest challenge you're facing now? You know, it, it seems like you're at the top of your diving game. There is room to move elsewhere. What kind of things are you facing now?
0: Something that actually my older brother and I talk about quite often. Because, like I said, I, I do plan to start a business in the upcoming years. And uh, that's something that obviously you need to be close to a computer for. You need to have your phone available. You need to you know, be able to get processing. You need to have, if you're, say, shipping products, for example, you need to be able to do that. So my thing is like a lot of the sites I go on, they don't want you to have your phone, which is very obvious for uh, safety reasons. And then I'm in the water now with this union three to four hours a day. So it's a lot of blank areas where I can't be working on other stuff, which, you know, it's getting harder and harder. So right now, like I said, I'm just studying after hours to get more endorsements for my welding inspection. If I could, but the best goal for me right now, my future would be to like welding inspect for nine months and dive for three months or four and eight kind of thing around there. Because I don't want to lose the diving, I love what I do, and I lucked in pretty early to get a, a very well-paying job up here too. So in four months, I can make basically what I would make say in welding or whatever in you know double the time. So I'm doing well in that aspect, but it's the time thing for me now. It's uh, you know there's not enough hours in the day, and I have a, a lot of goals that I want to achieve. So I know that they will happen, but the rate that they're happening at is a little bit too slow for my liking. That would be my biggest challenge right now. And I know that's a very first real problem to have. And like, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it
1: isn't a bad problem to have, but it's the one I definitely think about the most and when I talk about the most, for sure. So because you're doing all this stuff and it, you know, it seems like it's very time consuming. What do you do to unwind? Ah, yeah. So right now my, my
0: older brother lives in Toronto. As I'm sitting here in this room, I'm four hours from Toronto, but the last week and for the two weeks prior, I was about an hour and a half away. So anytime I can, I usually try to get in to see my brother. We'll go hit up a Blue Jays game. We'll do all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, big golf fanatic. I like golf. Got into that during the pandemic. So uh, this year, I was lucky enough. Pretty much everybody on my dive group golf. So we were golfing like three to four times a week after work. Basically getting all that kind of stuff. Other than that, it's just travel. I feel like I missed it on so much travel during this pandemic that uh, whenever I came out here and started making the bigger money and there was a little bit of restriction, like let up, I basically went from New Brunswick to Ontario, to Ontario, to Alberta, went to Kelowna and BC, all within three weekends. So just trying to make up for a bit of the travel that I lost. This winter, I plan on going actually to like Thailand for a month or two, just to kind of go get some work done. And also, you know, be on a beach somewhere. I'm pretty sick of the cold. <laughs> and yeah, just just probably the big one. Where's the best place you've gone so far? So far, uh, we have a couple of buddies down in Bermuda, actually, because it's tax haven for like, say, pharmacists and accounting, all that kind of stuff. One of our buddies does reinsurance, which is like the people that insure the insurance companies. And uh, so they're all down there living their best life. And we get the invite every year, basically, but we never really made the time. And last year, my older brother, his girlfriend and me, we all went down and just did the tourist thing and, you know, got the scooters at the first of the week paid like $30 for a scooter for seven days and just absolutely ripped the island. That was great. You know, I've had all the experiences, you know, the uh, the all-inclusives down in Mexico and all that fun stuff. And that, that is great, but uh, definitely the most memories came out of Bermuda so far.
1: Cool, man. And that that's awesome. So, you know, high level, it's definitely a challenging trade, but a rewarding one. Definitely you are one of a few. I don't know how the brotherhood of hard hat divers, if they're a big bunch, but I assume it's kind of a, tight-knit community and there's not too many out there and then you're looking to spread your wings with entrepreneurship yeah you, you got your hands in a lot of things right now so it's pretty <laughs> yeah, cool yeah. so this is the time i want you to uh take some time and and either plug something or mention your instagram handle or anything that you do uh any outreach or whatever the stage is yours yeah, guys, just go if you want to have a look
0: and kind of see what I do. And also, you know, go ahead and DM me. Like I said, I try to make myself available very often because as I was trying to get into this trade, I DM'd countless people. And I rarely, rarely got an answer back because like, as I'm sure, like myself included, they're getting so many DMs every day with the exact same question. It does get a little tiresome, but I have the mentality where I didn't get answered and that kind of, you know, it made me upset at the time. So I'm going to try and answer everyone. Instagram is Kendall Keating for. And as far as a uh, far as a plug, I'd like you to, to go to my my older brother's company. Actually, one that I'm very tight knit with. It's called Fosh Fosh Watches, but we do wallets right now as well. So uh, the wallets the big seller, and that's kind of the product range that they're using right now. I've used a little bit of their infrastructure for whenever I come up with my products, and we'll all be working on things together. And I appreciate you guys having me on as well. Like I said, they have a bigger platform to uh, kind of spread a little bit of awareness and kind of giving people just a better better overview of what it actually is that we do for work here. You know, they see it all the time or, you know, a little bit of time. and Nobody really understands what it is that we do on a day-to-day basis. So it's awesome to get the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, I'm
1: glad you came on and thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it.